Welcome to the Nouveau Shamanic Cinema, the podcast in which we watch a film as if it was a dream or an imaginal practice. For this episode, we watched The Last Samurai, a Hollywood depiction of what felt like some very deep archetypal ideals. We reflect on themes such as warrior energy and its role in awakening, how this can be combined with mystical notions and healthy and full expressions of masculine power. Hello everyone, welcome back to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema. I am Joseph Hort. I'm Rosa Lewis. And this episode we are talking about The Last Samurai. The Last Samurai is a 2003 samurai epic about Japan's history and future and colonial forces and all kinds of stuff. And it was directed by Edward Zwick. And it is a slightly unusual choice. I think Mm -hmm. we've made some unusual choices before for this podcast, but it's not like a dark science fiction film, for instance, or something like that, which is a little bit more the norm of what we've done on this show. The Last Samurai is a story about an American soldier, a captain, Nathan Algren, played by Tom Cruise, who is recruited by the Japanese government to uh, quell uh, the rebellion of a samurai lord called uh, Katsumoto. And the reason we're talking about this movie, which is very much a, a sort of epic adventure action story, a very Hollywood movie, is because of the vibe. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very Hollywood and... So just saw Tom Cruise also co-produced it, which makes a lot of sense. And there's a way that there's a type of Hollywood movie that they're telling a sort of story, aren't they, where they're taking you on a, a certain journey. And I think that often that is really cheesy or like a bit shallow or lots of things like that. And for me, it's like Tom Cruise, he manages to do these films or like produce these films where it's almost like the perfection of that art or something. It's kind of like the whole thing is quite cheesy in a certain way, but it takes you on a real emotional journey. It tells something archetypal and deep. It evokes a lot of emotions. The music is beautiful. The shots are beautiful. Like you're really immersed in the whole journey, the whole story. It feels kind of like giving this big message to the world. Like I say, it's cheesy and it's it knows what it's doing. It's pulling the emotional strings and like playing the right music at the right time and doing certain shots in a certain way. But but that works and it's good and it's beautiful and it's meaningful and rich. So we kind of wanted to, I guess, open to this style of movie feels interesting to me. Yeah. And I think this one in particular has a lot of archetypal depth and richness in that message that it's creating. It's really interesting that you're describing it like that. And I fully agree because I think that... There's a way in which good Hollywood craft really works as a a rich imaginal journey, right? Mm. It's like, in a way, it really works like an impactful dream, right? Mm -hmm. You you can have, there's there's certain styles of films that are very strange and sort of surreal, and they have dream qualities in that way. But this this has the emotional clarity of a dream. Mm -hmm. You can have dreams that are really touching, that that really touch your heart, that really do something with you, that have a clear message or a clear sort of like, yeah, they have a clear transmission. And I think that's that's the case with this movie for sure. It has a very strong emotional transmission. 
And, you know, we, we are interested in this podcast as always in engaging with films as if they are dreams or psychedelic trips or imaginal journeys. And there is a real way in which this kind of film and this one for specific reasons, more than not only because it's like a Hollywood Tom Cruise thing, but also because of the theming and the Japanese context has a very clear emotional transmission mm -hmm. that I think we want to talk about. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually, when you say that, I think that something being popular and sort of well-funded and all of those things, there's almost kind of like a spectrum of things that that can be. And I think one is that it just appeals to people's very base instinct. There's a way that people just appeal to the lowest common denominator mm. that's going to like resonate. And then you sort mm. of get toxic tropes that get reproduced and, yeah. and things like that. But then there's a way that you can be popular, appeal to the things that move people and have depth and richness and be inspiring and it's almost kind of like in the way that a cathedral is inspiring it's almost like something that's created as a inspiring monumental like hey this these values are important or this mood is important and we're it's a bit over the top it's a bit it's not like depicting real life or everyday life but it's something that's kind of important in the world that we're holding up and saying hey this this thing is is interesting and we want to depict that in a certain way in this movie and, and this for me very clearly falls in that category of, of sort of touching on some important values archetypes things that aren't it's clearly not a telling of a true story or a true depiction of what no. what reality was like at the time that it's set or things like that but it's yeah it's touching on some like deeper higher intentions values things like that it is movie as myth making mm, i think yeah. right it's movie as myth making uh, and and i think so let's talk a bit about the specifics of the film because mm -hmm. i think there's something so this movie is in love with japan mm -hmm. it's it's like a love letter to japan basically nathan algren the captain goes to japan to train the japanese modern japanese army which the country is being modernized and there's sort of industrialists behind it trying to modernize it. And then there's this samurai lord uh, who is leading a rebellion because they want to sort of protect the country's old ways and they, they disagree with this sort of modernization and the loss of traditional values. And I mean, basically what happens is he has a traumatic history. He has incredibly traumatized because of having been involved in the genocide of Native Americans. And the officer that he's working for as a mercenary now is the same officer that sort of forced him or to be part of those genocides. And he's just traumatized. He's an alcoholic. He's just really locked up. His heart is closed. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, trapped in his own experience and he's just struggling and getting by. And then he leads this army and he trains them as far as he can, but he shows them that they are no, no way ready to, no way ready to fight. And he is not un going to underestimate the samurai insurgency long story short he's captured by the samurai but katsumoto the samurai leader or the rebellion leader has a dream as like a meditation he has like an imaginal practice essentially yeah. where he sees a vision of a bunch of warriors fighting a white tiger and then when the samurai overwhelm the untrained soldiers in the woods and tom cruise's character nathan algren is captured uh, he fights to the death he's sort of like this this fierce tiger himself but he also is waving a flag with a tiger on it anyway he he gets captured and he then ends up in the the village of katsumoto as soon as he's there the whole movie is just about sort of like just showing the beauty of this it's, it's sort of like building this myth it's dedicated to building the myth 
of a certain Japanese way of life that is Buddhist, that is about this very Japanese sense of care and dedication and discipline as a warrior, warrior ethos that is being celebrated. And I think the whole movie, right, is essentially about building up that sort of moral myth and showing the beauty of it and gets it gets very sentimental in a very nice way about what it means to live for those ideals and to hold yourself to that sort of like standard i don't know if it's a standard but to that ideal i suppose right and i think it's a sort of like ideology and myth building film but in the nicest possible way very mm. emotional very open-hearted and and maybe we can talk a bit about what it is what is it that it's promoting right and maybe just to sort of like explain that a bit i think what it is essentially saying is a life of care commitment courage discipline openness devotion i think worship of a higher reality harmony what else <laughs> yeah beautiful yeah. things like that poetics yeah. right it's about yeah. so so we we definitely want to talk about the sort of the living like a poem and being part of the flow of life and that's all in there right and it's it's essentially the whole movie is structured around showing that that is a beautiful way to be and it's worth fighting for yeah i think there's something it's almost like um it feels like a an archetypal aspect of experience that is so much more rare in our modern society yes. and it's interesting that the story the story itself is about a kind of overwhelming modernity that's coming with capitalism that as we now know leads to a kind of individualism and it's almost like the the tussle between this more traditional way of being that includes all of those values against the influx of modernity and i think that in our modern culture there's a way that we're so pulled towards individualism it's like you lose the capacity to show up in a collective way and yeah so I've, I've done some stuff with a model called the shadow work four quarter model and it's a sense of this very individual part of us which is a kind of magician mental like thinking problem solving inner critic judgmental there's like so much of that energy present in people's systems and it's almost like this is showing the the sort of like positive and beautiful side of a more warrior mode of being. So in Shadow Works, it's also called warrior, which is obviously, you know, samurai. And it's like the sense of being one piece in a greater whole and being willing to die for that and showing own boundaries and care and compassion and like physicality and yeah, like doing what matters and living with honor and all of those sorts of qualities. And I think that that's so... It's like lacking, but it's also the opportunity for it is lacking, like like in terms of space for that to be expressed in our world. And so that that is interesting to me. Yeah, exactly. So 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 this is sort of like it it is a a moral construction almost. It's like, hey, you can be like this. Isn't this beautiful? It's like telling a story about how beautiful it is to be living according to those ideals, right? Just to say a little caveat, we are very aware 
oh, let me put it differently. This movie was really, really well received in Japan. And it's good to, to explain that because people might be like, oh, it's, an, it's a Hollywood movie about Japan. The Japanese must hate this. And, and I'm sure that there are Japanese people who hate this. But it was uh, on the whole quite popular in Japan. There are sort of famous Japanese actors in it. And I think in Japan, they may, maybe saw it a little bit more like an ensemble piece. You know, Tom Cruise is very forefronted. But I've, I've read a research article about the reception of this movie in Japan and where they said lots of Japanese people were very enthusiastic about this film because the movie could never have been made by a Japanese person because it would have seen ultra-nationalist. But because it wasn't made by a Japanese person, it was fine. But it's just a celebration of a sort of a higher ideal of Japanese culture, what it could be. You know, not that it's like that, but, but that's in a way irrelevant, right? And I think that is really interesting to see. So, so let's just put aside, maybe for the purpose of this discussion, how realistic this is. There's a lot of historical inaccuracies in the film, and I don't think we're very interested in discussing that right now. It's what is the film doing, right? Yeah. And, and it's that sort of like construction of that ideal. And what I want to ask us is, what is psychedelic about this film? It could be argued that it is, uh, it's a very Buddhist film. It's a, very, a film that's very much, it's mystical and about awakening and care and sort of the warrior poet life. But there, that is psychedelic. But can, can, we, can we explain that? What would you say about it? Right. Yes. Yeah, so let me start. So I think when I take psychedelics, my experience with psychedelics is that it often touches my heart in a way that where I feel like I'm in touch with what really matters. Right. The moment where Katsumoto dies. Spoilers. There's a moment where earlier in the film, Algren is asking him a bunch of practical questions or some he's some questions and he just answers by talking about how it's possible to look your whole life for the perfect blossom petal and that would be would not be a wasted life and then when he dies he's surrounded by blossoms cherry blossoms and he uh, he says they're all perfect uh, which is a very Taoistic, I would say, sort of like perspective, the perfection of the mandala of life, right? And um, him with tears in his eyes, seeing all the leaves as perfect, all the flowers as perfect, is that psychedelic as fuck. And that sense of what really matters, right? That that you, I think, I think psychedelics and the psychedelic experience. Often people talk about, oh, you know, when people aren't aren't experience that experience with psychedelics, or they have certain ideas about it, or they've used them in shallow ways. They think of like. Oh, it's so trippy and so strange. To me, and I think to you as well, probably, it's very different. To me, it's like a heart opening. It's like I'm being sort of pulled straight into what matters about life. My heart opens, a flood of love comes out. I see the beautiful cosmic dance and I'm able to just be one with that flow. And that's to me what psychedelics is in a real way really about, right? And there are other parts of psychedelics that are that are very different than that. But this is this is in, in a very important part of it, I think. Yeah, as you describe that, there's a sense of like, it's, it's so interesting. It's because my experience is so psychedelic. Yeah. But it's seeing how, how I got here had a, such a strong warrior archetypal force mm. where it's really being able to stand in the chaos and the battle and the intensity of life. And rather than react to it, you're just kind of like holding space and being with it. And it's like that, the courage of just like, I'm just gonna be with the truth, let it hit me. And it's interesting because we, we've also been watching How to Change Your Mind documentary. Yeah. And watching the people having MDMA therapy, there's a way that it's almost like seeing that that helps other people do that, that, that kind of like injection of love and beauty and that they get from the MDMA, that 
then creates the capacity to have that warrior energy where they stand and they face what's inside them and then it it's like yeah having the courage having the strength having the honesty the clarity all those like honorable warrior qualities then allow you to open to the full flow of life because you're not trying to control or manipulate or wanting it to be something different or running away from life or like I guess the journey that the Captain Olgren goes on through where he's starting out as this sort of alcoholic running away from his experience journey and then in a very physical literal sense but also in a metaphorical sense becoming a warrior where he's like facing what's there and becoming much more at one with the flow of life yeah the courage to be in the middle of your own heart right Mm. the courage to open your heart in the face of life and death is really what this film is speaking to somehow and that being a source of care and responsibility and just it's an incredible open-hearted ethical stake in the ground Mm -hmm. yeah that we 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 talk about this idea of staking the ground, and I think that 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 is really powerful and really touching. And I honestly, like I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Yesterday, I felt felt it again when we were watching it. I was like, yeah, I I want to sort of rem- always remind myself of that warrior courage. Yeah, I think it's not about not having the courage, but it's about having that as a guideline. This be like be courageous, and it's. It's not like I don't want to be courageous, but it, you can sometimes forget, right? Mm-hmm. You're just busy with other things than courage. But I'm interested in this as a sort of the warrior's way of life. Isn't necessarily about being courageous when otherwise you wouldn't be. But it's it's almost like even starting from the perspective, the, the sort of like owning the warriorship. So we were talking about being a poem or being a cosmic myth, right? So Rose and I have been talking about this, that it's really valuable to feel into what it's like to be a story or to be a poem or to be a cosmic myth to be part of that flow of life to have every part of your experience be an expression and a a part of the song and the dance of life and that is really powerful and i think that is a powerful sort of way to sort of remind yourself of what life is about and i am a warrior is similarly powerful and it's and i think the combination is really powerful yeah, right? I think it's like ultimately, ultimately to me, awakening needs both. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you just have the beauty and it's love and it just floats off into a kind of nonsense. And then it's like, if you're only connected to the warrior energy, you're just fighting a system Everything. and finding something to fight and blah, blah, blah. But when you get the combination of the two, it's like being in the flow of life, being the, feeling the beauty of life, being connected knowing what matters, being willing to stand up for it, accountability, all of those things. That's like the real, that's the real good, good stuff, really. It's kind of like getting the full spectrum of life and experience and there being a meaning and a being in service to something greater in a way that's also empowering. It's not kind of a disempowering, like giving your power away. It's like, hey, this is something that matters and we're going to stand up for it. Definitely. And that's sort of that combination the warrior poet is the open-hearted warrior, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it's a warrior who is in touch with the beauty. It's like, I think the warrior poet is like conflict and harmony combined, mm. right? In some way, being willing to be in conflict in the name of sort of harmony in a way. Yeah. I think an interesting part of including the warrior aspect in Awakening is including the full life and death cycle, where there's a lot of fighting in this film and it's quite 
intense and gory and it doesn't kind of like hold that back and that's sort of like put next to the beauty and they're almost they're not like juxtaposed they're sort of like yeah the trauma of war isn't very much included and the how much that fucks people up and it doesn't sort of like whitewash that too much yeah but it also doesn't kind of say oh well the fighting is as bad and it's opposite to the beauty and the it kind of creates this much more complex rich picture where i think to me awakening has this very kind of like shamanic quality where you're it involves yeah like facing your fear of death kind of like imaginal practice around darkness including your own darkness getting in touch with the parts of you that have violent impulses or violent traumas or and just sort of like including that in the whole richness of the cosmic poem and becoming awake to it and liberating that energy that's trapped in those things so i feel like this that's also part of including the warrior it's like being the warrior is kind of having the capacity the strength the integrity the honor to be the container to hold the difficult stuff as well as to have the courage of yeah being vulnerable that opens up to the intimacy the beauty the little the tiny petals the like connection with there's some nice cute children in the film there's like funny tender sweet moments it's almost like having the courage to open to the full spectrum of experience and being the container to do that in and staying in integrity feels like the warrior aspect yeah the courage to stay with experience the courage to stand up for for things and uh, yeah it's and then that's sort of like the sensitivity, right? And there's, there's something about the sentimentality of the movie, which I think the sweetness, there's something mm-hmm. sweet and te- there's something tender. I think something tender and soft about the movie. We have talked about uh, tiny tenderness and the sense that tenderness and smallness are connected and that, that this sort of light touch is a touch of care and the light touch in the smallness of experience do you find real wisdom in a way yeah 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 lovely and that feels related to the thing around the mdma therapy where it's like in order to get to that warrior thing that we were just talking about you first need a lot of love in the in the system because if you go from a lack of love then you're you're coming from a critical judgmental like aggressive energy Mm. it's almost like if you're flooded with with love and then turn that into courage and and fierceness that's like a different mode and so yeah, that's just worth recognizing, I think. It's almost like the sweetness and the beauty and the and the love is an important part of their capacity to then be able to be warriors that come from integrity rather than sort of like close-hearted aggression. And you see the difference because uh, the way that Nathan Algren starts as a, as a dissociated alcoholic warrior, he's a very good warrior, but it's a close-hearted thing. And there's an interesting untold story in the film where it's hinted that he speaks Blackfoot and that he's like, you know, able to speak with Native Americans and he knows a lot about them. So there must be a way in which what he's doing with the samurai and with that village isn't his first time. And it was, I I think it must've been really painful for that character. You know, you see him being part of a genocide, killing a bunch of kids and stuff. And then, you know, he's in a village again, but then he's like living there for a while. His expertise, his knowledge of the enemy, which is the reason why he's been brought to to Japan, hides a part of him that's probably much more communicative and open and, mm-hmm. and, and curious about other people and things like that, that, that is only hinted at. Right, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because his, his character being juxtaposed against the other American sort of officer character. Yeah. 
who it's almost like the tension in him where he didn't the captain Orgrin really didn't want to commit the genocides he there's like a i think there's there's a kind of warrior ethics aren't there where it's almost like fair fight is fair fight against you know whatever we won't get into yeah. <laughs> that sort of stuff but there's a sort of warrior ethics which he was there's a clear crushing of that boundaries and ethics and by this other officer who just wanted to you know it was just an act of aggression of attacking innocent people that has then given Ogren all that trauma and I think that that's that's interesting in and of itself the kind of warrior ethics that come out particularly in some of the the sort of depicted ideals of the samurai around like death in battle being honorable and kind of yeah like like Ogren killed one of their samurai warriors and then ended up staying with that guy's wife and there's the sort of tensions around that and the general feeling within the samurai community like that was a fair fight and and Ogrim won it and it's like a recognition of kind of like fair fighting being an important value and that there's going to be winners and losers in that that's a like really important part of warrior energy and it's very different to that more sort of close-hearted aggression picking innocent people off predatory energy they're kind of like two very different modes and I think the difference is when there's love in the system and it's coming from a place of open-heartedness you get that those different modes and it's connected to the film's depiction of I guess what I would describe as Buddhism I mean Japan has Zen but there's lots more Buddhism in Japan than Zen and we don't really know which one it was there mm -hmm. but you know the sort of Japanese Buddhism more generally maybe you could say even though it's quite diverse has a lot of influence and I would say especially in Zen uh, coming from China but of Taoism and this sort of sense of being part of the flow of the Tao being part of the flow of life and yeah I would like to talk about that a little bit as well because it's all connected right so it's like the sort of warrior code and then there's the spiritual the purely spiritual mystical part of this movie as well and they're very blended so they're inextricably bound and I think that's powerful because I think if you just had the mystical stuff but the warrior thing sort of creates a space for this sort of like strength and and care and justice and all this kind of stuff that also lifts up like if, if it was just a movie about Buddhist monks mm -hmm. I mean it wouldn't wouldn't have been the same right so uh, there's a really powerful thing there where I think it combines the warrior ethics with a sense of poetry and aesthetics and and sort of larger ethical framing and then there's the religious sort of mystical notion of sort of one with the flow of life and the perfect is everywhere and you see a lot of meditation a lot of chanting and things going on and a lot of sort of like zen or at least buddhist aesthetics and what is interesting about that is that so we have been critical of some modern interpretations of buddhist practice maybe modern western interpretations mm -hmm. especially of buddhist practice that are very mind focused or maybe to, more to the point they don't recognize maybe sufficiently in the way that they're being expressed that all of experience is imaginal right and i think this is your rosa your you know sort of like fundamental critique of a lot of this work it doesn't recognize its own imaginal nature yeah i think also the warrior piece as well uh -huh. it's almost like it's not it's like yeah very mind focused it's very kind of like individual mind do your meditation in your mind and that's it and uh, then yeah including the imaginal but also this warrior piece that we're talking about and the collective and the environments that we're in and what are we yeah. standing up for yeah. and what's going on in the body and all of those things yeah, yeah. so i have a, a background in zen more or less long long history of meditation in, in a few zen traditions and rosa is my teacher 
and we've been working together and a friend, but we've been working together as in a mentoring teaching situation, I would say of some sort, right? For a few years now. And your impact has been to open up my sort of my emotionality, my ability to engage with my own emotionality, my embodiment, and with the imaginal as a relevant space for spiritual practice, which beforehand was maybe too separate. And recognizing that myth and metaphor are at the heart of all of experience. And this has greatly changed my interest in lots of more standard practices that don't include that perspective, like you said. But Zen has for some reason stayed relevant. And we've sort of talked about this a bunch, right? And the reason why it seems to have stayed relevant is because it also recognizes this. Or, you know, I don't want to speak for all of Zen, and I certainly don't want to speak for all of Japanese Buddhism, but there is a way in which and I think this movie expresses this as well. There's a way in which that's sort of like the poetic nature of the universe and the yeah, the mythical nature of experience is recognized, right? They work with koans, poetry, art, etc. All of this is suffused with this idea that sort of at the, at the heart of experience is poetry, is meaning, is expression, is the imaginal in a way that maybe not all like that modernized, some modernized forms of Buddhism really don't address. And it's just expressed in, in the whole tone and the whole sort of like mode of that of that type of Buddhism. Yeah, that's super nice. And I think there was a... Com- so before we watched this yesterday, we were sort of having a conversation about like the depths of experience and reality. We were talking about detail and mood. And I feel like in Zen poetry type stuff, it's almost like the specifics of like this flower, this thing. It's like really pulling you into like the specifics of this thing, but also the mood of that. And I think you were describing it as kind of like Vipassana, but Vipassana as if everything, every sensation is a poem. It's kind of like that's where those two things can really come together and sing. And you're not taking out the detail and saying, oh, it's going into sort of fluffy kind of spiritual throwaway sentences or whatever. You're staying with the specifics and the detail and the, but you're not then going so far into just detail where it's like, oh, it's just data that's coming in it's like you're keeping that alive with the poetry and the and i think that that's was sort of coming through in this film as well yeah they're the mystery right it's every every detail is a mystery every detail is a poetic expression rather than a data point Mm -hmm. exactly and so you don't know what's going on and i think i think the idea of a life spent looking for the perfect flower petal perfect cherry blossom is a life well spent even if you would never find it it's sort of that you know Mm -hmm. Like you say, I think it's really nicely put that there's a, a mood plus the detail and the, the details express the mood and the mood expresses the details. There's a really powerful way in which that just sort of like erases the difference between yourself and the, and the poetic flow of life. Yeah. Do you want to read out the description of awakening we came up with yesterday after this conversation? Uh, so awakening would be a non-conflicted, grounded, multidimensional flow of life from which care and kindness naturally arise. So non-conflicted here meaning not in conflict with itself, right? So so when you're not in conflict with yourself, you can be part of conflict. Mm-hmm. You can be part of tension uh, because you have cl- inner clarity, right? So, non- yeah. so non-conflicted being, you know, sort of like in that sort of flow with yourself and, and being able to face everything, having the courage to be in your own heart. Grounded it means that it's re- because you were talking, maybe you can explain this a bit. You were talking about a sense of the real, right? Realness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not getting caught in society's fixed ideas about what real needs to be, 
but being present with what is in you. So if it's sadness, it's sadness. If it's beauty, it's beauty. If it's looking at a leaf, it's looking at a leaf. If it's looking at a sensation in your body, it's it's just like realness being the the place where you find the divine or the flow or whatever the thing that you're looking is for rather than some ideal that's outside of you. Yeah, and a sense of realness. I think also like a, a sense of realness means that you intuitively feel this is right in a way. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. are connected to, you could say realness could also call it connected to your intuition, embodied intuition. Yeah, yeah or like integrity. or Yeah, and then there's multidimensional, which means that many things are included. Uh, many aspects of experience are included. Nothing is excluded. Everything is allowed to be there, right? And then the flow of life, that's sort of just this sort of like stream of how things are going and not resisting and not fighting with the flow. And then from which care and kindness naturally arise. And I think we decided to sort of say that last because many people get trapped in sort of like wanting to be caring, wanting to be kind, overstretching themselves towards others, where it's much better if that just arises from experience, from centeredness. Or having to be good is one of the strongest things that puts people in conflict with themselves. So it stops the whole process. Yeah, exactly. And the one, maybe one more thing to talk about with, in terms of that sort of ethics in this movie is the heart being touched. So I was thinking about, you know, they die in the end and all this kind of stuff. And look, there is a death culty part to it a bit where they're very eager to be killed. And they even make jokes about this. And obviously that's sort of like, you know, wanting to sacrifice yourself kind of thing and really wanting to die in battle is it gets to, towards sort of fascistic death cult stuff, which is a completely different side of it that, we, that we're less interested in, I think. And we want to acknowledge that, that sort of like wishing for a heroic death in a literal sense has caused lots of problems in the world. So let, let's just sort of not engage with that in that way. But being on the edge of death and being so emotionally touched by what's going on and, and the, the uh, what is a really beautiful scene, I think, is the... There's this really sad and kind of wry moment where the last charge of the horseback samurai is getting mowed down by machine guns. And it's just like they're just storming and then it's like and they're just all falling down. But then the officer who commands the machine gun attack starts crying and then they stop that and then they are all bowing, right? It's like that's they're bowing for that sacrifice. There's a way in which that tears in the eyes, heartbroken acknowledgement of impermanence and death mm-hmm. and acceptance of death is also part of this right yeah right yeah the, the word that comes to mind quite strongly is respect it's like a, a respect for that courage and that feels really related to the embodiment aspect and the realness and the kind of like this is life and death and people suffer and i think in this way of the spiritual seeing the beauty in that process without undermining the suffering to me is the embodiment and the realness part it's like staying connected to what matters respecting the physicality respecting the hard work that it takes to like be a being in this world and do what's right and that's really beautiful yeah it's the sense of uh, having skin in the game being involved putting yourself out there being part of the struggle right and i think that in this way you can really feel how a lot of japanese buddhism is mahayana right it's bodhisattva ideal Mm -hmm. buddhism it's being engaged being involved ideally again look Mm -hmm. like um, i mean let's not get started about the the various ways in which zen has been used to do horrible stuff in Mm -hmm. japan and like you know i mean but ideally the Mm -hmm. ideal type is this sort of mahayana kuan yin bodhisattva kind of ideal that you can really feel right Mm -hmm. this is not theravada buddhism what's going on there it's 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 bodhisattvas 
you know, in some way, right? Yeah. Katsumoto could be se- you could be seen as a kind of bodhisattva-like figure, right? That sort of engaged heart, warrior heart, being mm-hmm. part of being part of life. Humor as well, right? There's yeah. a light, there's a lightness and a jokiness that's mm-hmm. really beautiful as well. He's playing with uh, Algren a little bit, but mm-hmm. ser- he's serious and playful at the same time. And he goes on a dime, like the the really cute moment where they're doing they're having the kabuki theater in the village square, and he's like joking around with the puppets. Oh, that's nice, yeah. It's super cute, right? And yeah. they're, and they're also like I think there's also something about leadership there because they're also making fun of him, like who is mm-hmm. this asshole, right? So he's not he doesn't have to demand respect from other people; they just respect him as a leader and mm-hmm. as a non hierarchical thing in a way there as well. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very masculine movie. There's lots of masculine stuff there's the the one woman taka mm-hmm. uh, the widow of the guy that algren killed who also displays courage of course it's a little bit of a patriarchal story yeah but. it's interesting it feels like an expression of strong masculine forces i guess i felt like i could relate to the energies it felt so archetypally resonant yeah that it didn't feel toxically masculine yeah. it felt more like it's because expressions it's of masculine energies of which obviously you know we all have masculine and feminine and i felt like i could connect to the characters and resonate with it and it's because it's caring right so so because there's so much care and emotional openness and heartfulness it doesn't feel toxically masculine it's not about being a hard ass it's about being courageous with an open heart Mm -hmm. yeah i wanted to say that look there it's mostly about men in the movie but I, i do think you're right if I think of like other movies who, who touch on these sort of themes, like uh, like a Braveheart or something, or Gladiator, mm-hmm. yeah, it's more about being a badass a bit, right? right? Being yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm standing, I'm courageous, I'm standing up for freedom, and this is more like I'm fighting from a caring heart. People cry a lot in the movie, lots yeah. of tears. Yeah, totally. And also the, I think the process of the characters sort of meeting themselves and meeting their own, like there was just a nice scene of Olgren in a way it was showing the downsides because he was a sort of hero he was like a war hero and on the inside he's broken and alcoholic and kind of clearly showing that that sort of like masculinity of like look he's a hero is not a good thing and just kind of like gently showing characters their own flaws in a way where I don't know when he first went to meet Katsumoto he's like talking to the guy who's looking after him and he's kind of like trying to connect with him and ask him lots of questions and being quite rude back when the guy's not connecting with him and then it's the power dynamics reversed and Katsumoto's trying to connect with him and then he's being rude by not connecting and there's like there's like a way where those two things being back to back is sort of showing him his own close-hearted masculine sort of hardness and opening him up yeah it's interesting to do this film back to back with Suspiria because There's something about the cultural discussion around men, women, masculine energies, feminine energies, where it's like, if we only focus on the fact that masculine energies and men historically have had more power and women have had less, and just only focus on that, you get such a one-dimensional view that brings in new toxic dynamics that are oppressive in different ways. Like, yes, that conversation needs to happen, but also the conversation of like, hey, what's the fullness of the feminine expression in its full power, including its darkness, including its wildness, including its good goodness? Like, the, what's the whole thing of that? And then it's also equally like, hey, what's a really healthy, inspiring model of ma- masculine power? 
Like, what's that in its full expression? How do we move towards that rather than going into black and white, this is good, this is bad, this needs to be oppressed, this needs to be lifted unquestioningly. It's like a much richer conversation to be including the full range of the masculine and the feminine men and women. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think that some masculinity, the way it's also problematic is often that it's, and I heard this in a really nice video the other day where they were talking about Lord of the Rings and about Aragorn, uh, you know, as a leader. And they were talking about toxic masculinity can almost be more precisely defined as limited masculinity, Mm. where a man can only be a very limited, and women as well, right? A very limited set of behaviors are considered masculine. And a better masculinity or masculinities is more open, more inclusive, and more types of behaviors are allowed. So Aragorn was considered in that conversation to be a good example of that because he cries, he's very caring, right? There's this moment with Boromir where he's like, Kisses him on the forehand, and he's mm-hmm. like, hugging. Like, like there's there's a, 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 a real caring, open-hearted quality to him, and I think uh, Katsumoto and Algren later in the story, you know, inhabit that. Basically, you would say that this is a story of a more limited masculinity combined with a close-hearted capitalistic dissociation, opening towards a more spiritual, more connected more inclusive, more emotional, more poetic, more courageous type of masculinity. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, really nice. And as you say that, I'm aware how the part of me that loves expressing this type of masculine energy as well and the power and how being in connection with you, that feels very welcomed, like a strength, a power, being fully powerful. I think in a lot of places in the world, it's like as a woman, that's shut down. Mm. And then, yeah, I guess like equally inviting that in you but maybe more importantly inviting the bits the kind of like emotionalities and the and that side of the masculinity so it's almost like I, I feel like we make space for the full range of energy I guess that it's nice to bring that in as an example of how we're not talking just about men and women it's like yes that energy within everyone making space for it and seeing it as an like important thing I suppose I agree yeah yeah beautiful uh, to me, the whole film feels like breathing out, mm. like a breathing out. It's, it's like, oh, somehow. And I love this film and I know it's cheesy mm-hmm. and, I, and I know it's not very realistic and it's mm-hmm. historically incorrect, and I, but whatever. And it's, it's the best that Hollywood can do, you know, mm-hmm. really strong moral storytelling, strong archetype, myth building, hero's journey, but in a, in a really cool way, you know, and really lifting up these cultural ideals. What I also like about the film, it's an intercultural collaboration because half the film is in Japanese. Mm-hmm. It's got big Japanese stars in it. It doesn't really feel like it's in a Western production only. Like it feels mm-hmm. like it's a collaboration. And a, lo- a lot of beautiful art, for some reason, comes out of Japanese and Western things collaborating with each other. Yeah, I think it's worth to- maybe talking about just how beautiful the film is as well. Oh and the Japanese countryside and the, the whole thing is, yeah, stunning. Definitely, and, I, and I've been to Japan a whole lot. Uh, about six times for a month uh, at a time. Seen lots of the countryside, seen lots of the cities and and Japan, you know, the the first time you go to Japan, it's like, whoa, it's such a different place and everything is so different and people are so different or whatever. But the more you you go there, obviously you start seeing that people are, you know, people are people, right? Of course there, there are huge differences, but people are living their lives and it feels less different. You're just, you see the, the normal life that's there, but the aesthetics and the the care and that sort of just that baseline of care and sort of respect and 
attention and sort of regard for each other in a way is quite unique and it's always a bit of a shock to come back to the Netherlands from having been in Japan Mm -hmm. Um, you know there are downsides I mean I don't want to get into it but there are definitely different downsides that I can't even begin to describe it because I don't know enough about it only having been there a few times but there are major problems with this sort of way of dealing with each other as well but that again we're talking about an ideal right we're talking about an ideal that that we can aspire to I think yeah so then i think that there's something in that beauty that feels similar to the injection of heartfulness that then creates the context for open-hearted like warrior energy like doing what matters from from the heart rather than kind of close-hearted it's like there needs to be a level of inspiring beauty in the system and love and openness if it is again like i don't know the mdma therapy where the you know, you do it in a nice clinic, don't you, where it's cozy and the people are caring and yeah. and then you can face your hard stuff. That's right. There's just something meaningful in that, in, in all the beauty and the that the film captures. Yeah, there's a way in which those places and those environments are created by, by people who are saying this is what is possible, right? Mm-hmm. This is what is possible. So I think one, one last thing that feels interesting the, the kind of whole story is like the old ways versus the new ways in, in a certain way yes it's like samurais are fighting for the old ways and the emperor sort of bringing in the new ways which has this sort of capitalistic trading i suppose and olgren is then given a sword for the final battle olgren is given a sword and what's the sword say it's like the i am the warrior in which the old ways meet the new something like that yeah and so he's a kind of an American who has come over to fight the samurai. He joins the samurai. He sort of learns their ways, given this sword. And then, so the warriors, the samurais, they all die in battle. And then the emperor at the end essentially cuts ties with the really capitalistic... Corrupt. Corrupt. Minister. Yeah, minister and connections he had with the states. There's a sense of like, in order to move forward into the new way both had to die there's something really nice like shamanically metaphorically deep there about the sense of like these two opposing forces it's almost kind of like the process of non-duality in a way it's like you have these two strong opposing forces that would dominate and therefore oppress things to sort of like come into a new like combined way they have to die and go through a life death life process in order for a new thing to emerge and it's like i felt like that was really powerful in its metaphorical nature yeah because what is also wonderful about it it's not like the good guys win mm-hmm. or something like that it's like no the answer is, is synthesis right it's synthesis and, and emerging of uh, of energies yeah and finding a sort of like combination yeah i think that was really beautiful as well and then the sacrifice led to that essentially the movie ends with a heart opening right like mm-hmm. a communal heart opening mm-hmm. of the, all the soldiers the soldiers open their hearts. The emperor find his, finds his courage. The corrupt minister is shamed and sort of retreats in shame. It's really uh, yeah, quite beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that feels representative of the... I can't remember exactly what the words are in the definition of awakening, but the, the free flow. It's almost like everything in its true place, in its right place, and things are flowing and moving rather than closing down on, yeah, the good guys won as a much more like energetically metaphorically open and then life keeps flowing from here and you move on to the next thing kind of yeah move which is nice yeah yeah the stream and the stream keeps moving yeah wonderful nice 
Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed and see you again soon at the Nouveau Shamanic Cinema.